before we get into our scripture reading for today, I just want to mention a number of things that are going on in our nation, in fact, in our world, and there are many concerns about the coronavirus, and some have asked, will we be canceling service now or sometime in the future because of coronavirus? And I heard the church say, you, you know that's not going to happen. That, that, that's not going to happen. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. We have some concerns because of what's going on with how we can be of aid. And I know our nation, our leaders have um, done many, taken many steps to help us in our fight against this type of virus and this thing that's going on. I am concerned about it. I know if you've heard, there are many who are at higher risk uh, to it, those who have uh, their uh, uh, immune system is weakened in some type of a way, and that certainly um, uh, is the case of my wife with cancer and with chemo that she takes. Uh, she is more at risk uh, than others, and so I'm very sensitive to that. And what I ask you to do is to take the normal, uh, sensible precautions that you would need to take against any type of virus. That means if you're sick, you have some symptoms, and you think you should stay at home, then you probably should. I know we have some uh, that have stayed home today because of that, and I, and I applaud that. That's a good thing to do for your health and for the health of others. So I continue to encourage that if you have that, if you have children that will be in a nursery that uh, you think are, are sick or children in your household that may have been sick and may pass it to them, you need to take some sensible uh, precautions and perhaps that may include um, them not being at service uh, for that particular service. So you as an individual are most responsible for that and you need to take that uh, responsibility and take it seriously and make that decision uh, for yourself. As a church, we expect you to act responsibly and make those kind of decisions because we will not close as a church. If I'm the only one here and I'm coughing and sneezing and everything else, we're going to be here as a church. Now, I might not be here, but somebody's going to be here to carry on. And so uh, that's, what we're going to, that's what we're going to do. So don't expect truth seekers to, to be canceled. Don't expect Sunday school or nursery or any of those things to be canceled. But if you can't be there for some reason or for that health reason, let us know and then make that kind of decision. Uh, on your own. So um, that's, that's how um, we're going to, to, to address this. That's how we've been addressing it all along. And uh, so that's really nothing new. But I don't want you to, to be alarmed. Um, I don't want you to, to, uh, to be in fear or live in fear. I want you to, to know uh, how to take proper precautions and to know that we're doing it. It's the times like these that the church needs to be here. It's times like these that the church needs to be a place where people can come and hear the gospel truth and why we have hope and why we do not respond to things the way the world responds because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean that we don't go to doctors. It doesn't mean that we don't take medicine. It doesn't mean that we don't take precautions. But it means that we do not live in fear. And that instead of fear, we trust the Lord and we live that out. This is a time we need to encourage one another in the Lord. Somebody asked me, is uh, you're going to keep shaking hands and our hugs are going to be limited? Well, if you're infected, you shouldn't be here. And uh, if you're sensitive to that, you may need to take some of those precautions. And I'm, I'm aware of that. I don't laugh at that or ridicule that. You may need to take some of those precautions, but we're going to continue to meet, and we're going to continue to serve God, and we're going to continue to pray and to encourage one another in, in our walk with the Lord. All right. Our scripture reading um, this morning, or I should say along with that, that uh, our regular 
third Saturday fellowship or ministry that we have to Milwaukee Rescue Mission has been postponed by Milwaukee Rescue Mission and so that they have said that they will not have their regular ministries of, of guests or people coming in to the ministry. That means our discipleship that we may be doing one-on-one -on -one, uh, or anything we do throughout the week, our women's joy house ministry, all those types of things with Milwaukee Rescue Mission on their decision have been postponed. So I want to let you know. So normally this Saturday, uh, our men would go and we would minister there, but we've been told by Milwaukee Rescue Mission that that's postponed for the time being, and they'll let us know, and we will uh, enact or, or put that in place again. So we'll let you know if it's on, uh, if it will be on for April or May or from then on. All right. Uh, we're taking a break from our uh, series in Job to do some special um, speaking on today's events of the anniversary, 26th anniversary. So I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to be reading there verses 1 through 8. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 through 8. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. Just raise your hand and they'll bring one to you that you can use throughout our service. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 through 8. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's Word. It's a very short passage compared to what we've been reading in Job. So I ask you to pay special attention and let the Word of God be heard without distraction this morning as I read to you Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to your faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. May God give us understanding in this reading of his word. Let's bow as you remain standing with me. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time, this Sunday morning that we can come, that we have set apart to come to worship and to serve you. We pray, Lord, that you'd open our minds, give us understanding as your word is preached so that we can take in your word and so that we can know what it says and that we can live in, according, in accordance to your word. Give us that understanding. Challenge our hearts. Encourage our hearts in the things you talk about here in your word. We thank you for the 26 years of ministry that you've given to Sweet Communion. And we thank you, Lord, that as we look on your hand, we know that your hand has been with us. Your grace has been given to us and you've allowed us to minister in that grace. We thank you for the impact of lives that this ministry have, has had. We thank you for the many individuals here and in the past who have contributed to this work and have been a blessing to it. And we thank, thank you for them and we ask that you would bless them and encourage them. Those who are here now, Lord, that you'd help us to continue this work as you would have us to do it.
that you might get the glory and you might get the honor. Bless our service now, Lord, and all that's done, that it might, um, it might be a part of presenting and living out the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that if anyone does not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, they can be brought into relationship with him by hearing your word, hearing your gospel, hearing your message, that you have sent your son to be our savior, that he has paid the price for sin. If we would but trust in him, you would forgive us of our sin. You would cleanse us of our sin. You give us a new relationship with you and with each other. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated as the choir comes for a song. What a blessing it is to be here today and to recognize what God has done over 26 years of ministry here at Sweet Communion. During our meal, right after service, I'm going to share that history of our church. We'd like to, to read that and have you listen to our history. Today, what I'd like to do is take a, a, a break from our Job series and look today at Romans chapter 12. And I've entitled this message, New Relationships, New Relationships. I think it's a message that is important for us as a church to hear and for each individual that's either a part of the church or outside and ready to become a part of the church. Put a plug in, we're going to start a new membership class next week, Sunday. We have one person right now who's been waiting for that class. You can see the smile on Chris's face right now. He's been joyfully, he's been patiently waiting for that class to start. And I have to say, he's been faithful in serving the Lord, uh, being a part here. I was so thrilled to hear uh, Lawrence today and others who have spoken in the past as our Sunday school and just to, to hear them speak about how God is, has uh, allowed them to be used in ministry. And it just, um, I really should just have Lawrence come and say what he said again because I'm speaking on that this morning. It's, I have such, I can just write ditto. Ditto to all that that he said, and uh, I'd like to share that with you today from the text of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. The first two verses speak of, of um, our proper fellowship with God, or our proper relationship and fellowship with God, and verses 3 through 8 speak of our proper fellowship and relationship with each other because of our relationship with God. And so Paul makes an appeal here in chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. I want you to, I'm going to start from the end of that phrase and kind of work myself back. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. He's saying brothers because he's been brought into a new relationship with these who he is speaking to. He's speaking to the believers in the city of Rome at that church that was gathered there in that city. And so there's a new relationship that, that causes him to reach out and speak to them and appeal to them. He says this. Then, working back on that phrase, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. That therefore, you know, any good preacher says, hey, that's a connection phrase. What does it connect us to? What has he said in the past, whether it's the past chapter or the past 11 chapters, that brings him to the point that he wants to make right now? Where there's several things, and I think he has in view all that he said from Romans 1 to Romans 11. We have some, some, some of our men who have just recently attended a, a, uh, 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 a preaching seminar 
and they have gone through the book of Romans. So uh, they'll appreciate what's being said here today, and they'll listen attentively. And and even if they don't say it out loud, they're going to have amens in their heart to the study that they have done and how they have viewed the book of Romans. And so Paul is saying, what I'm about to say now It stands on all that I've said in the past. Let me just summarize what he said in the past. It's because of the gospel. It is because of the gospel that he makes this appeal to brothers, to those who have trusted Christ like him, and he challenges and encourages them. I I, I appeal to you, therefore, why? Because of the gospel, because of who the gospel comes from, what it has done, and what it calls us to do now in our lives. Romans 1 through 11 talks about where the gospel has come and and what it has done for us. And then verses 12 of chapters 12 through 16 talk about how we then ought to live in regards to that gospel. Turn back with me just briefly to Romans chapter 1 so we can see the connection that he makes in this therefore statement. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He says, I've been called. I love the the, the special music that our ladies sung for the sake of the call. We've been called to the gospel. We've been called to be saved because of the gospel. And we've been called to work as a result of the gospel working in our lives. So sweet communion has been placed by God because of the gospel working in our lives in the hope that the gospel will work through us and to others and reach out and impact those around us with the gospel. So the gospel is center. It's the center message. It's a central message that, that Paul speaks of, and it ought to be the central message that we speak of. That's why I cringe when we have uh, 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 so, so-called gospel songs that don't focus on the gospel. I mean, I like music. I play a musical instrument. I like music of different genres. But when you have words to that music, the gospel ought to be coming out, not just how you feel and you made it over and, you know. But, but what about the gospel that brought you to that point? That's what people need to know, not just how you feel, but what God has done and how they can have that same thing done for them. So he says this, I've been set apart from the gospel for the gospel, and he says here is that the gospel is something that's promised by God, verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So it's a promise of God, and that promise is given to us how? In the Word of God. That's why the Word of God is important. That's why we don't want to preach with our Bibles tucked away. We don't want to put them on a shelf in our home and have the preacher just kind of blow off the dust on his Bible, then close it and get to really preaching. That's crazy. It's the gospel that's contained in the word of God, the holy scriptures that we want to hear over and over and over. And then he says this has been promised by God. It's about his son. Look at verse 3. Concerning his son. Read it again. Paul, the servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son. So that gospel is about Jesus. That gospel is about Jesus, his son. You don't want to speak about Jesus, then you're not preaching the gospel. If you want to water things down so much so nobody is offended, you don't want to tell them that they don't trust in Christ, they're on their way to hell. If they don't believe in Jesus, then they're not a part of God's people. If you don't want to tell them the truth of the gospel, you want to eliminate Christ out of the gospel. People talk about having Christmas but substituting Christ for something else. Listen, the gospel doesn't work without Christ. He's the center of it. It's concerning his son. Let me say this also in verse 5 and 6. This gospel has an impact. You can't just say you got the gospel and it not affect your life. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, through whom, this gospel and this Christ who is the center of the gospel, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith 
for the sake of his name among all the nations. The purpose of the gospel or the fruit of the gospel, what the gospel is working, what it is doing is bringing about obedience of faith throughout all the nations. That's what the gospel is. So don't, don't tell me you've heard the gospel and you've been living on the gospel and it hasn't changed your life where you are not obeying the gospel. The two go hand in hand. The gospel has its impact. And don't tell me God is not powerful enough <laughs> to work the gospel in your life as he did in my life, in the life of others, where it changes your life. It must change your life. Nothing wrong with the gospel. It's maybe something wrong with that person whose life isn't changed. They haven't been impacted by the gospel. So we see that the gospel is promised by God. It's concerning his son. It results in obedience. And it brings us into new relationships. Let's go back to our text in Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. What he's saying here, and he's touched on this in his previous chapters in Romans, he says, it's the grace of God that satisfies the wrath of God. You notice in Romans chapter 1, he talks a lot about the wrath of God. And in chapters 2 and 3, he talks about everybody is condemned under that mighty righteousness of God. And so the gospel is about the righteousness of God. You can't look at the righteousness of God without also looking at the wrath of God. But he says here, it's the grace of God that satisfies the wrath of God and allow God to be righteous in saving us. That's what the book of Romans really is all about. The grace of God that satisfies the wrath of God makes possible new relationships for the people of God with God, with each other, and with the world. It's this gospel that does that. Let's look at what he says here in verse 1 and 2. His appeal is that we live in proper fellowship with God. I appeal to you to do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He said, because of this gospel coming into your life, I appeal to you now then to live by it. And in doing so, to live in proper fellowship with God. What does fellowship with God mean? It means... We submit ourselves to God. What does submit mean? Give ourselves over. You know, when I drive down the street, um, it, it, you know, with the snow, it used to be some of our residential streets are a little more closed in and crowded. And, uh, but they would only have parking on one side of the street. That's so that you could get by, right? Two cars can go. Two cars going in, in, in separate ways can pass each other and get by. But now that the snow is, is removed and the snow parking restrictions are moved in March, we have parking on both sides of the street. And sometimes it's a little hard to get past somebody. Now, my wife knows me. I don't like to submit. I'm coming down that street. I'm like, dude, I'm this far. You need to move over. And he's thinking that same way. Well, look, you got to move over. Somebody got to give in, right? Otherwise, you're going to sit there and go nowhere. Somebody's got to give in. Somebody's got to submit. Somebody's got to move over. We have a responsibility to submit to God, not him to us. God don't move over for us. <laughs> we move over for him. And here's how we do it. He says, I appeal to you that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice is an offering to God. He says, I want you to make this offering to God. It's an act of worship. And it's an act that continues to serve and continues to give because it's living. He says, don't make it a, don't, don't, don't put yourself on an offering and take your own life. 
I'm not asking you to do that. In fact, I'm asking you to keep on living, but to live as a sacrifice. Ask yourself this question. Am I living today as a sacrifice? If I'm living as a sacrifice, it's not what I'm about. It's what God asked me to be. I have, I have put to death my goal, my aspiration, my desires, my wishes, all that I want, and I've given it over to God and say, you direct me. He says, I want you to present your bodies like that, a living sacrifice. So it's not just once and you've done it. You continue to do that as you live. Are you a living sacrifice? Have you committed yourself to God for him to do as he pleases in your life? A living sacrifice. He says that's holy and that's acceptable to God. In other words, that's what God requires. He requires that of each of us. Our right relationship to God is that we serve him. We submit to him. And we do that by giving ourselves. He's saying your body is not your own. Your life does not belong to you. We have a political uh, persuasion that wants to say a woman's body is hers to do as she pleases. Well, I would differ with that when it comes to that body inside her body. It's not hers to do as she pleases. But a believer looks at things totally different than that. All that you are and all that you have belongs to God. You have, uh, in other words, no say over it, but God does. What you need to ask God, not help me do what I want to do. Lord, what would you want me to do? And I want to do what you would have me to do. Not give me what I want. But Lord, help me to pursue what you want. I now belong to God. Such a rich statement, he says. So our relationship to God is impacted by the gospel and that now we no longer are ourselves, but we're to present ourselves to God. You know what that means? Whether you're tired or not, <laughs> you woke up this morning tired and said, I think I'll take a break from church today. God says, I belong, you belong to me. I'll make that decision whether or not you should take a break or not. Keep moving. I empower you. Do as I please. He says this is an act of spiritual worship, and that's a good thing. God asked Jesus to give his life. He didn't ask us to lay down our lives to physically die. He says, I'm speaking of you in a spiritual service, so don't kill yourself, but give your life. Jesus actually gave his very physical life, and we're not asked to do that, but we ask our, ourselves to submit our lives living to God. Then he says this in the next verse, don't be conformed to this world. Instead, be transformed. Don't be a copy of this world. That's what conform means. It means you begin to look like the world. So don't be a copy, be a change, be transformed. The word transform means to change, be totally changed, transformed. He tells us how to be transformed. So when you see yourself acting like those who don't know Christ act, then perhaps you are conforming to this world instead of transforming. In other words, you ought to be one who influences others, not have them influence you. You ought not to be a copy of what they do. Somebody asked me, or let me just say, in their thinking would ask me, why, why do we have the snow policy that we have as we come in? You know about snow policy. My snow policy here at Sweet Community, I don't care how much it snows, church ain't closed. That ain't supposed to rhyme, but that's all right. <laughs> what does that mean? And, and, and why are we having that kind of policy? Because, but, you know, we say, well, you know, the schools are closed. This is closed. That's closed. Look, they have their own reasons for doing what they do. 
And I would enlighten you on some of those reasons that we don't need to follow. And so our policy is, you make that decision. If it's safe for you to come, then you come. If you deem it's unsafe for you to come, then you don't come. But you make that decision. Church is open. We don't conform to the standards of this world. And if there's some standard that, that you need to think about, think through why they do what they do. They love to feel like they're doing something, even when it's nothing. Love to feel that what they're doing is helping, and sometimes that's highly questionable. They love to dictate to others based on what they do. The Bible tells us, don't be conformed to their activity, but be transformed. He tells us how to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the gospel, by the way, Here's the gospel. Some people think gospel is just John 3.16. Here it is. All of this is the gospel. Paul starts talking about the gospel in Romans, and he gives them all of these chapters of the gospel. Because that's how deep and that's how real, that's how thick, that's how deep it is. You need to understand what God has done in the history that necessitates the gospel. Well, the gospel is very much a part of that. And so he says we need to be transformed by renewing our mind in the gospel, in the word of God, so that we don't fall into the snare of, of the trap of being like, thinking like the world. The next section, in fact, he talks about our thinking. This is the, the second part of, of this text the first part in verse 1 and 2 is we ought to live in proper fellowship with God. The second part is we, live, we ought to live in proper fellowship with each other, verses 3 through 8. And how we do that is through proper thinking and through proper living. Proper thinking he deals with in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. He says, I want you to think properly because if you think properly, you will begin to act properly. So consider how you think. He tells us how to think. This is a self-assessment. Not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. In other words, to think in a balanced, proper perspective of who we are, who God is, and who the others around us are. He tells us how to think that way. He uses this phrase, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In other words, in accordance with what God has done and with what God has given is how you ought to think of yourself and of others. He helps us understand that by bringing up this theme of the body. I want to call it team. We ought to think as a team. I'm very disturbed because my sports have gone. Man, the Bucks were doing great. Then games canceled for I don't know how long. Brewers about to start their season. Football's about to go into free agency. And I'm sitting there ready to watch all of this develop. That's what I love to do. And then it's like, it's all canceled. It's all gone. And so a lot of my thinking comes from that sports world. But Paul introduces this by by challenging us to think as a team would think because we are a team. And he says it this way. For as in one body we have many members, one body, many members. This is really team thinking, and, and this is how we ought to think in regards to 
relating to each other, our relationship with others. He says, make a self-assessment and make a proper self-assessment. Don't think of yourself higher than you ought to think. And, and what, what kind of guides that thinking? He says this way, think as a team. And here, here's what he says. One body, many members. He says, in a proper unit or team, there is unity and there is diversity. Unity is the one body. The diversity is many members. Unity speaks of there is one goal. Now, he uses the analogy of a human body here, and he uses it in other texts. And he's saying there is one body, but it's made up of its individual parts, which are many. But the goal of that one body, the way it's going to function, it has to function as one. In the example of a human body, if I'm going to walk, it's interesting when you watch little babies and how they learn how to walk. At first, everything ain't working quite together. Probably the heaviest thing on their, on their body is their head, and they get to looking at something, and they can easily start to lean that way. They haven't learned the balance yet. Their legs are strong, but they haven't learned what it means to take a step at a time and follow that with another step so that you remain balanced. They haven't learned how their arms and the rest of their body just seem to naturally help keep that balance. But if you do something weird with your arms or don't hold them straight and turn your head the wrong way, you won't get going and stay upright. So that whole body has to, in essence, have the goal of walking. One purpose, one goal, team thinking. But he says this is how it really works. There's individual pieces, many members. And those members don't all do the same thing. They can't. They shouldn't. They're not made to function that way. He says, verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. He's making it clear. If you're the hand, don't try to do what the feet do. It's fascinating when a person can walk on their hands. You go, hey, that's an amazing thing to do. But the reality is, it's odd. And it doesn't allow them to function the way they were designed. Because the hands are now occupied, preoccupied with doing something they weren't normally meant to do. Can they pull it off? Yeah. But what serves to hold things while they walk with their hands? Their feet are not equipped to do that, to grab, to hold, even to balance and to bend and to flex and to grab things. And so you might pull it off, but it's not very efficient. The most efficient way is let the feet be the feet and let the hands be the hands. So when the feet, when, when the hands want to say, look, man, I can walk just like you. I can stand up straight. I'm just as strong. And they go to prove it. They throw everything out of whack. What is he saying that for us? He says, you have one body and you have one goal, but you are to recognize that there's different tasks. And there's several different tasks that each member must do. I want to ask you, have you found out and are you operating in the task that God has called you to? Remember what he said when he first started off? He says, don't think more highly than you ought to, but think in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given in other words, what has God given you to do? Don't compare yourself with what God has given somebody else to do because your function may be different. Your task 
will inevitably be different. We don't all have the same task as we function in sweet communion, but we have the same goal. But for us to function properly and efficiently, we each need to be doing the task that God has called us to do. So he says there is unity of goal, but there's diversity of operation or, or the things that we do. So we don't need an attitude of do your own thing, but do what's in aligning with the goal that's set. We don't need the attitude of you can be whatever you set yourself to be. You can accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. We need to recognize that God has given us a purpose and the individuals must be working towards that purpose. Not what they individually want, but the one who purposed them. What does he want? So people say to me, I don't want to do that. I don't care what you want to do. I really don't. Do what God has assigned you to do for the efficiency and the proper operation of this unit. Michelle doesn't always want to work in the nursery because so many others don't want to work in the nursery. But if nobody works in the nursery, then so many won't hear the word because we'll be distracted by babies crying and babies needing to be changed and babies doing what babies do. But then we can't all be in a nursery, can we? Nobody will hear me preach. We can't all sing in a choir, can we? We can't certainly all sing solo. We certainly can't all direct the choir. But God has called us to individual tasks in submission to him and submission to each other. That's why I enjoyed what Lawrence had to say this morning. There's so many tasks that need to be done. And I ask you, have you submitted yourself to God to be submitted to one another to do the various tasks that God needs you to do? I pray that this time of anniversary will be a time of committing, recommitting yourself to the tasks that need to be done. Do you realize that your involvement in sweet communion may be the greatest thing in your life in terms of opportunity to serve God and to impact the community that he has placed you in in a large and in a big way? Your involvement in your church gives you that opportunity to do that. And the only way we're going to do that is to do that with each of us serving God, using the abilities and the gifts that he's given us and doing the tasks that he assigns to us. Not all the tasks are glorious. Not all of them receive glory or accolades for what's being done, but they need to be done. And so I encourage you, find out what God wants you to do. Don't sit on the sidelines. Get involved and be committed to that task that God has called you to do. You say, I don't know what he's called me to do. Let's make that a priority that you find out. You know why you don't know? Maybe you're not listening because you think he wants you to do something that's great. And he has something else for you in mind that's not always great, that's not always glamorous, but in fact needs to get done. And you're saying to God, I ain't going to do that. I want to do that. And God's people are suffering because you won't humble yourself and do what God has called you to do. I know as God had called me, he, he challenged me with this attitude. Be willing to do, and I'll challenge you with the same attitude. Be willing to do whatever God calls you to do. Say to the Lord, here I am. Use me in whatever way you want to use me. I'm, I'm going to warn you. 
when you have that attitude, it's going to be challenged. Because God may say, I want you to give a ride to this person. And you say, God, I don't want to do that. God may say to you this week, I want you to work in the nursery. I want you to give Michelle a break. <laughs> and you say, God, I don't feel like doing that today. I want you to respond in this way. And you're going to be tempted to say, I, I, I'm not feeling that. And you'll spiritualize it and say, God didn't call me to do that. But look what he says. Here's how you make it practical, verses 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Can you at least in your mind underline that? Let us use them. We know we have, he, he says, I help, I help you understand that we all have different gifts. We don't expect to have the same thing or do the same thing. But he says, having these different gifts, let's use them. Stop sitting on them, but use them. Put them into practice. God gave you those gifts, those abilities, that task that he's given you to do. Do it. Stop looking at somebody and saying, how come so-and-so ain't got to do this? Use the gift, use the ability, perform the task that God has given you to do. So he says at the start of verse 6, let us use them. And then he goes on to speak in some specifics as example. I don't think this is all, but this gives us something to think about. In, if prophecy in proportion to your faith. In other words, he understands that God has given us different tasks to do, based, and he's given us gifts for those tasks, but they're different. But no matter what they are given by God, we need to be using them. Ask yourself, am I using my gift? And then after you've asked yourself, you might give yourself a wrong answer. Ask me. <laughs> am I using my gift? Ask the, the leaders in charge. Am I using my gift? And don't be satisfied with a, with a short answer. Dig until you get that answer and are being used. I love to see how God has connected his people in church. And I hate to see how some people disconnect themselves from church. Oh, they use all kinds of excuses and reasons. But the end result is they begin to disconnect themselves by saying, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like doing that. Let us use them. Let us put ourselves to good use. He says, the one who has prophecy, now, that may be the preacher. Let him preach. In service, in our serving. He doesn't go into detail. What he's saying is, if that's what the task is given to you, do it. Do it. If it's service, serve. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts. I think that's kind of like discipleship, which is coming along somebody and encouraging. The son of exhortation. Barnabas was one who would just encourage me, and I think he would come alongside different individuals and, and, and walk with them and, and try to grow them in the Lord. But let's do it. Let's stop using excuses of why we aren't busy doing what God has called us to do right here. One who contributes in generosity. Now, I think he has in mind financial giving or, or just giving in, in some kind of way. It's, it's kind of selfless type giving. Now, you might ask, all of us are to give, yes. But here's one who, who has a, a gift that goes above and beyond. Use that gift for God's glory. In other words, stop holding back. Stop holding back. Serve the Lord. He says, um, the one who leads with zeal, the one who leads with zeal, if God has given you that as a task, then do it with a right heart and a right spirit that pours itself out to God. And he says, 
the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, ministry of mercy, just see things that need to be done and people that need to be helped in some kind of way. You don't need a program to do that. You, you don't need to establish something. You need begin to do it and see what God does. Do it. Maybe a program needs to be started, but do what God has given you to do. But notice that these are all done just on their own and without connection to each other because he starts talking about that we have a unity. We can't have everybody just doing whatever they think they should do. In fact, if we were operating on the Holy Spirit, that won't happen. God knows why he's placed each of us here and what, he'd have, what he's given us to do. And he's going to have those operate in accordance with his will. That's why he starts off in, in verse 2 saying that when you, you, you're going to be able to discern his will and to know his purpose when your mind is renewed. And so it's not just everybody doing whatever they feel like doing, but everybody submitting themselves to God's work so that God can direct, he can orchestrate and do what he purposes to do. Individually, each of us needs to say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Use me. You've given a task to me, or maybe I don't even know what that task, help me find that task. But here I am, submitted to you, submitted to your people, for the sake of the gospel, reaching out in the lives of many. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for what you've done in your people, and we know your work is not over. Time and time again, we're reminded of how important it is that we communicate the gospel in this community that we live in. I pray that you would encourage hearts, you would shake some up, you, you would exhort, you would rebuke, you would challenge, you would move us to be effective and efficient for you and for your glory. Teach us how to do that. We want to submit ourselves to you, and I pray right now, Lord, for that individual who needs to start that by trusting in Christ, that they will recognize that you, that's the very purpose that this gospel is going out, that they might come in a right relationship with you by trusting in Jesus Christ. They might recognize that when they do that, the result of that is their obedience to you, their walk with you. It's a continued obedience. May they begin that by saying, I need to trust in Christ. Show me how to do that. We pray that you would speak to the hearts of your people right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.